Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your post-game Buckeye Talk. Doug Lee Marie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Beaver Stadium, where the Ohio State Buckeyes beat the Penn State Nittany Lions. Rawr, 44-31. We're going to talk a lot about the Ohio State offense. We have Nathan's survey results that I find very interesting from our Ohio State Tech subscribers. Um, instant, instant gut reaction right after a game, I think, is some real, maybe, I don't want to say overreactive, but it's like kind of what you really think right? Just like you're, you're like in the moment, you're juiced up. You might be a little heightened, but I think it's a good time to survey people. We're going to talk about mostly about the Ohio state offense. And we do Nathan have to talk about a little bit of what they're missing. That includes Mayan Williams, who only had two carries for nine yards in this game before leaving what looked with, I don't know, like a a wrist injury. Ryan day said he did not know what it was. What do we think we know? We know that something happened to his right hand, wrist, arm, something. Uh, he left the game as soon as that play happened. It was only a second carry of the game and went to the medical tent, went to the locker room, came back from the locker room. His fingers were taped, came back out after halftime, had a hoodie on under his jersey, no helmet, and his right arm in a sling. And that would tell you that it's more than just a couple of fingers. There, I, I know a couple of people tweeted at me that they thought his fingers were kind of one, at least one of them was going the wrong way coming off the field from that play. And But I think if you're in a sling, it indicates more than just your fingers, I think, not a doctor. So just obviously something that we'll be monitoring uh, over the next couple weeks or at least into this coming week to see what, what they'll have to say. It's also, they're coming up on two games here where they don't have to push guys back onto the field if there's any question. And Stephen, no Jackson Smith and Jigba. We did 17 minutes on the pregame about... No Jackson Smith and Jigba, so we don't need to do 17 minutes here. Ryan Day said he had no update on it. Reports of Jackson not being at practice this week, maybe getting a second opinion on some things. It's very much a holding pattern. I I think we just almost, do we just have to let it go, and when he's back, he's back? I mean, you obviously have to ask about it because it's part of our jobs, but at the same time, I just think if you're a fan, just expect that your starting receivers week by week are going to be Julian Fleming, Emeka uh, Buka, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and that's just what it's going to be. And those three have proven that they can, they're can they more than capable of getting the job done, especially Marvin Harrison Jr., who's emerged as a legitimate bullet in the call favorite at this point. But it's Jackson Smith Jigma isn't going to play, and if we do get to a week where he's not on the availability report, then we'll deal with that when we get to that. But at this point, it's not – we're kind of past the what if he plays this week part of this because he's missed basically all but 60 snaps this season. Okay, so let's deal with what we do know. And I don't know what we know. <laughs> because Nathan and Steven, I asked this question among the five I asked tech subscribers after the game if you want to be part of it, 614-350-3315. I did hear from at least one person who said, my tease of seven-year-old little Dougie with a bowl haircut and a Penn State sweater got him to be a tech subscriber and then I sent that out before the game on Saturday. So if that would, for some reason, entice you, sign up and tell me you didn't get the photo of me when I was seven in the Penn State sweater, and I'll send it to you. But you can also vote and stuff like this. What is closer to your feelings about the Ohio State offense overall today? I only gave two choices. They worked it out in the end against a tough D, and that's what matters. Or 
it took too long for them to figure it out. I did not give a middle option, Nathan. I wanted to make people, you got to have a lean, even if it's 51-49. What do you think the vote, what do you think won and what do you think, what percent did they get? Is it took too long or they worked it out? Oh, I think took too long will win, especially because it's it's back-to-back weeks of the run game taking so long to find any traction. And I would say 71%. Steven, what do you think? I think... They worked it out in the end against a tough D1, but I'd say like 62% because I think some people came out of this game going, Penn State's pretty good in a way that maybe they didn't think after watching what Michigan did to them. So I will say that's what I thought, but the winner is it took too long. It took too long, 61%. They figured it out, 39%. So, you know, six out of 10, that's kind of a lot. And I'll do one more that's general about the offense. These were the tr- this was the question. Which answer more fits your opinion? This offensive performance made me more confident about Ohio State. It left me similarly confident about Ohio State. It made me less confident about Ohio State. So you watch this, you feel better, you feel worse, or you kind of stayed the same. Steven, what do you think won? I mean, the middle probably won, but just based off the fact that almost six out of every 10 person said it took too long. I would say that the less confident have more than more confident. Okay. But you think similar one, Nathan, what do you think? I would, I would vote the same way. Okay. Less confident, 60%, similar confidence, 35%, more confidence, 5%. I am a little surprised by this because I think I might even be in the 5%. This is, Nathan, a I think a very similar conversation with different context to last week. And the general thing is face a good defense, struggle for a while, get it going at the end, win comfortably. But the difference this week, and, and to be fair, to, I mean, not to be fair, like I think the three of us were kind of on this in a lot of ways. Like our scores were all very similar. We all kind of, I think, thought around the same thing. And we did talk, Nathan, a lot about the idea of, hey, guess what? Penn State's offense is at least comp- competent, and that's going to matter because uh, you know, no matter how good your defense is, you can't have your defense out there the whole time. Why do you think this is, Nathan? Why do you think it is that this, this audience of very loyal, very smart Ohio State fans looks at a 44-31 win against this defense and says, I feel less confident about Ohio State. Because Ohio State trailed in the fourth quarter of this game. I mean, they're down by five with under 10 minutes to play, and that's an unfamiliar position. It's an uncomfortable feeling to be confronted with, that this season that looks like it's barreling towards a a national championship opportunity, 10 minutes to go, and I know you're on the road against a good team, but 10 minutes to go, you're biting your nails thinking, is this thing falling by the wayside are you now going to be in position where you have to fight and claw just to to stay in that conversation and your back is now already again a little against the wall when you go into that Michigan game so I understand I think again right after the game what is a more emotional reaction of like how close regardless of the fact that they very soon after that were up by 20 points in the fourth quarter on the road against what is legitimately by I think anyone's estimation, one of the top 20 teams in the country, I think that's where that comes from. Just whatever the circumstances, they were on the precipice of a loss with 10, 10 minutes left in this game. It was 21-16 to 16 with 9.26 to go. Yeah. Somehow that became a 44-31 to win. I don't even know how that – that's ridiculous to me. When it was 44-24. Uh, to 24. It, yeah. in, in, in less than seven minutes, they turned a five-point yeah. deficit into a 20-point uh, they basically, yeah. Like, yeah I, I, don't, I think people. Ryan Day's had some weird play calling games, and I think people are getting sick of it. Where he has these games where there's this thing that's clearly working, but for whatever reason he keeps going away from it. Whether it's games when he's trying too hard to chuck the ball around, and Trey Sermon's running for five million yards, and you should just give him the ball, or today where you're slamming your head up against the wall in the run game and then you're running bubble screens all day when it's like, hey, a slant to Marvin Harrison Jr. is kind of unstoppable here. How about we just do that 15 times and see what happens? And that that type of 
bad day by Ryan Days happened enough times now that I think guys are getting a little iffy about what happens if he has a bad game like that against like an elite program. Very interested. I'm I'm very interested in this because to yes, they were down. CJ Stroud taking the field with less than 10 minutes to play. And then right at the moment, at the gotta have it moment, they got to the gotta have it moment. They had it, and then they had it again, and then they had it again, and then they had it again. So I guess it is unusual for them to be forced into a gotta have it moment. However, and I'm not a, oh, there's a silver lining in bad stuff you know, kind of guy when it comes to college football games, right? I mean, that's the, like, every time you make a mistake, it's like, well, the silver lining is, but a lot of people were kind of interested in Ohio State being tested. And I had said, I think on the rants, to me, it's more about like just our curiosity than it is them having to be tested, you know, that they have to be tested in order to um, succeed later, right? That, you know, someone had sort of on the rants pod, like made a comparison to Clemson. Someone pointed out that I say Clemson with a Z, and I don't mean to. It's Clem. I guess I should say it, Clemson. It's, yeah, it's it's. You know how some words have silent letters. This one has a. It doesn't show up, but you have to pronounce it Clemson. Clemson. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It's <laughs> All right. So whether you you think they needed the test or not, Nathan, they did get it, and they passed it. Like there's no doubt they passed it. In the end, when it came down to got to have a time, they, they had it. So, again, I feel like I'm going to focus more on what they did when they needed to do it and take a lot of the early stuff as Penn State is pretty good. And I think it's not just that Penn State's pretty good. It's that I think it, it when it comes to secondaries, this will be the best secondary Ohio State faces. So that doesn't excuse anything. But I don't think they have to figure it out again to this level in order to beat other good teams. So I I don't know. Ryan Day was, how would you describe it, Nathan? I don't want to say defensive, but he certainly was making a point of, I know other people have expectations. Our only expectation is to win, and we knew this game was going to be a game into the fourth quarter. He really hammered that point after the game. Right, and – to his credit, it sometimes after these games, and I've been critical of this before, I thought last week was an example. Like You don't have to come in and make it all sunshine and rainbows when something went wrong, such as with like the run game against Iowa. But I think tonight the, the circumstances are very different, and I think it was perfectly fine to be to celebrate what happened at the end of that game and to admit, yeah, the first half was not good. A lot of mistakes there. I made mistakes. Uh, some guys didn't make plays. We didn't do some right things in the run game. Here's, you know, we are going to work at those things, but it means something to have won that game tonight. And I'm with you. Like before you were asking me, like, you know, devil's advocate, why do people think this way? But I think the same way as you coming out of this game that I think Ohio State proved some important things in this game. I, I think I have a more favorable opinion. Listen, if you're, if you're listening out there and you're uneasy about the way this game went for Ohio State, I get it. But ask yourself this. like, Do you still think Georgia can win a national championship this year? Because this is not worse than what Georgia had when it went on the road to Missouri and scraped by 26-22. Missouri is not in Penn State's neighborhood. Like, This is a better w- team than that. This is a better win than that. I think some of this is also colored a little bit by the absolute just – like like they're running through soggy toilet paper that Penn State did to or the Michigan did to Penn State just a couple of weeks ago and people had that in their mind that that 41-17 was not indicative of how bad that game was for Penn State it was a very different matchup here though and it's at Penn State and you know what happens when good teams get their butt kicked sometimes they go try to get better i think that happened with Penn State here in the last couple of weeks so there's a i guess a lot of different perspectives floating around there but at the end of the day it's not crazy that really good teams sometimes have to win games like this in the fourth quarter. I have some Michigan data that I want us to go through and compare the Michigan and Penn state game and the Ohio state Penn state game. But I do want to talk about the idea of while they were kind of working it out, Stephen, were they learning things? Did they actually create things that worked later through some of the things that didn't work early? And for example, 
the bubble screens were driving everybody crazy. Steven, you and I are sitting next to each other. Usually Steven sits in the middle. So it's Nathan, Steven, me. So it's like, ah, Steven and I were talking about this. And then we're like, hey, look at Nathan's beard. It looks so good. So yeah. we were talking about, hey, they're one of these bubble screens. They got to be setting something up. And then they never were. Mm-hmm. But also then it was like, okay, well, maybe this is just their version of the run game because they're not having a lot of run, a lot of success running between the tackles with Trevion Henderson, and they've got to do something. And then asked about it after the game, Ryan Day said, yeah, those bubble screens weren't really working. We kind of were missing the blocks that we needed to make. There were some really aggressive plays by the good Penn State corners to make tackles out there. But he also said there's something to be gained by, and it sounded silly, and he knows it sounded silly, except it's real football stuff. You make you throw it wide to the right, and you make everybody run to the right to chase the guy with the ball down. Then you come back and you throw it to the left, and you make everybody run to the left. And there's a whole lot of running that the eleven guys on the other side have to do to try to stop your three yard gain. But Stephen Amekekbuk at one point had three receptions for minus two yards because his first three receptions were all unsuccessful bubble screens. He finished with six catches for fifty three yards, which means his final three catches were three catches for 55 yards. Well, they stopped doing the thing that didn't work. I think they still threw one to Marvin. They threw a bubble to Marvin, and they got a mecca involved in the middle of the field and that kind of thing. So the stuff that didn't work, they didn't do for four quarters. But again, it was the stuff that was the balance last week of when do you give up on it? How much do you keep trying? Does it serve a purpose beyond it? And I think there was something to the idea. They wound up killing Penn State in the middle of the field, and you stretch them out. And then you hit him in the soft spot in the middle. Now, did they create that middle for Cade Stover and Emeka Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. on the slants and even Mitch Rossi? Or was it always there? I don't know. But I think maybe there was some benefit even to the unsuccessful bubble screen. So my advice to anyone listening would be don't let three unsuccessful bubble screens to Emeka Buka be the primary yeah. thing you take away from this game. Yeah, because he's just going to throw three more unsuccessful bubble screens to Mecca Buka and throw one to Marvin Harrison for good measure. And then a swing pass to Travion Henderson for good measure as well. I don't, it seemed like the middle was just open because he threw a pass to Mitch Rich Rossi where we're just like, he's just standing there wide open. Where has this been all game? Now, there is something to the, you make everybody one right, you make everybody one left, you make everybody one back. Like stretching the defense east, west, and north, and south all over the place. Days talked about that a lot. There's something to that. The only sense I can make of the bubble screens is because we talked about this with Penn State's cornerbacks. They're very aggressive. And when you are aggressive, sometimes you can cheat a play and try to get a pick. And maybe he was setting up the if I throw three to seven bubble screens in the first half and then I fake it and then go deep with a slot fade like he did against Penn State last year. And Jackson Smith, the jig was scored on that play. Maybe he was setting that up. But the problem was. The setups weren't working, so you never established that because instead of being overly aggressive, Penn State's cornerbacks were very disciplined and then were making plays at the line of scrimmage. And so after a while of that not getting set up, then you get into the, why do you keep trying this? Why do you keep trying this? But then also, I mean, Nathan's asked this line of questioning plenty of times. They've talked about how those those bubble screens are just long handoffs. So when you're not running the ball well at all for basically all but you know, the 41-yard touchdown run that Travion Henderson ran, you got to run it somehow. And that's maybe how they were. Try- so it ended up being this thing that it was the only way that they could execute plays out to the perimeter because the run game wasn't working, except these weren't really being executed either. It was just piling up C.J. Stroud's completions. And it's, it's one of those things, right? It's, all, it's in all of our heads. Like a four-yard run, eh, it's kind of a success, and a four-yard pass feels like a failure. But when they're throwing bubble screens, they're thinking of it as a run. It's just a wide run. It may as well just think of it like it's a it's a long handoff behind the line of scrimmage, except it's slightly in front of the line of scrimmage. You do have to kind of think of it a different way. But I do think in the end, like they didn't go down with the ship, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't like lose. So we went in there and said, like, hey, Ryan, like what was up with the nine bubble screens for minus 16 yards? They eventually got away from it when it stopped working. But I do think we have to acknowledge, and again, I said Marvin Harrison Jr. said this, Nathan. We knew Joey Porter Jr. was good. He has some of the longest arms you've ever seen. He is really built to be a corner. He's physical. They did burn him on some off coverage, but he's just a he's a really good player. But I was like super impressed with Kalen King, the second mm-hmm. corner, who really was aggressive, came up and made plays on the ball. He'd been playing really well. Everybody knew that. Their slot corner is kind of the guy you can pick on a little bit. But I don't know. I do think you it do we think do you think I'm I, I think they're the best corners they'll face, and Jair Brown's a great safety. I think this is the best. Se- I don't think Georgia or Alabama or anybody else has a better secondary than this. Is that too much? 
I, am I too far? And like, oh, we're going to be sitting here like, hey, Jordan Battle, Eli Ricks, Kool-Aid McKinstry in the national title game. Remember yeah, when Doug said they weren't as good as Penn State? Well, that's the mm-hmm. one that that's the one that gives me some hesitation uh, because I feel like that secondary gets tested probably more often than Penn State's does. But Penn State st- secondary did pretty well today. For uh, But it wasn't really even the secondary. I thought it was the front of Penn State's defense that was changing this game by the way that it was controlling the line of scrimmage, the way that it was getting some penetration on C.J. Stroud, uh, the way that and it was those defensive backs, too, that were involved in this. But it, it wasn't like they were throwing those bubble screens and getting a couple yards with it. They were just getting nothing. Like, they were just getting blown up from the get-go repeatedly. And yeah. they were they were well anticipated. This was a well coached defense. I thought they anticipated a lot of things Ohio State was going to try to do, and they were pretty fundamentally strong. Like early in this game, it was Ohio State that was making some of the fundamental mistakes on defense when it was playing well defensively. Otherwise, but making some fundamental mistakes that opened the door for Penn State in a way that that wasn't really happening for Ohio State. I thought Georgia I, in there as well. I mean, Keely Ringo might be the best corner in the country. Chris Chris Smith is having a really good year at safety. Yeah. They have another true freshman guy who's playing really well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're going to face good ones. It's just, I think at least Penn state's as good. And I, and I think my, I think it might be close. It's not, that they're going to, I mean, again, Tennessee, Tennessee's getting thrown on. So they still may face some good secondaries, but if they could crack Penn state eventually, as they did, I think maybe they can do it against other teams too. All right, quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about a couple of the standout performances by Ohio, by Ohio state from this game before we double back in the end, for a comparison that I think will be valuable and a couple more survey questions. We'll do it all next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug, Nathan, and Steven. Uh, there were some outstanding things here, starting with JT Tumaloa. And we need to talk about him because like, we can't come on here and be like, oh, I don't know, bubble screens. It's like, did, remember, did you remember the defensive end who had four, four, four turnovers by himself? What's the context here, Steven? He picked off two passes, including one for a pick six. He had another one that he tipped that turned into a Zach Harrison interception, and he had a strip sack and recovered the fumble. So it is one human, 80 plays that Penn State ran. Penn State ran 80 plays the entire game. And so what's the math on that? 5% of their plays ended in a turnover created by JT Tuimaloau. Maybe they don't win without him. This was a dominating performance, Stephen. I'm taking the maybe out. They don't win without him. And it starts in the uh, the first two drives of the game ended with JT Tuimaloau tipping a pass that Zach Harrison picked off and then picking off a pass of his own, basically giving Ohio State two extra possessions. And then in the second half, he's making those same types of plays, except now they're like not only momentum swinging plays, but like those are the that pick six sealed the game. So it's it's not a maybe as uh, CJ Stroud had his moments as well, but. Everything the offense did in the fourth quarter is not possible if JT Tuimaloau does not exist. Not everything. I mean, they came out and had the march down the field. I mean, they, they not they would have gotten the ball sometimes on their own because, but like, the other yeah, team, okay. Uh, but whatever, all right, the, but. The, their first touchdown when they got the ball with nine twenty six, yes. But then JT causes a turnover that sets them up in plus field position, and they turn that into another touchdown. It kind of got the like, okay, you scored the one touchdown, but JT turning into Mr. I'm going to cause a turnover every five minutes, kind of got the ball rolling and got the snowball effect that we can sometimes see with this Ohio State offense when things are clicking. They did. And they had another 75-yard drive after the, mm-hmm. the drive to go ahead, too. So I just, you know, he was incredibly impactful. Um, what do we think this means, Nathan? Is this the beginning? Is this the the introduction? Ryan Day called it a coming out party. And, Stephen, to your point, Sealing the game with the pick six, Ryan Day was like, well, we're like, you're figuring stuff out. And it's like, well, if we do this and if they score here, how are we going to do this? And then he said, JT Tumaloa gets the pick six. And like you throw your headset in the air. And it's like, well, we don't have to think anymore. Buckeye talk. Um, this feels like a beginning, Nathan, not a peak. Well, I don't know if I'd call it the beginning because I think the beginning happened earlier this year. I mean, again, I think this has been building for him for a while. but And it may end up being a performance that statistically he can't ever recreate because it's just so much in so different ways but i would agree with you i don't think it's the end i don't think this is like a flash in the pan thing i think this has been coming for a while and what does it mean well i I, you know we talked a lot last year about the absence of star power on that defense and when you take what ohio state can do offensively at its best 
And then on the other side of that, it's not just that you have a a, a high floor on defense, um, even if it's not like elite defense, however you want to describe that, but just just better than last year and and getting out of the offense's way. We think that's pretty close to national championship level potentially for this program. But if you start putting guys on the field on defense that are literally wrecking games the way he did today and matching that with what they do offensively, that's when you start talking about there's a really special combination attainable for this team. I think I think what you saw from with JT2 and Maloa, again, all the uneasiness that was in those those responses, but like what you saw JT2 and Maloa do today to Penn State, and I know Penn State's not um, a, a brilliant team uh, as far as his offensive line and things right now, but nobody else is dominating game. Like that, that's just to, to, to own a game to that level is something that players don't do. And if he can recreate anything close to that effort in against Michigan in a big 10 championship game, in a playoff scenario, you're, you're changing the game. You're changing the outcome of games. He could just do like a third of those, just do one of those stat categories. And that's going to be a quality game. That's one of the best performances, like period. Like we're talking to Dominic uh, Chase Young, like whatever you want to say there, uh, Joey Bosa. Uh, th- this is it's. Uh, I-, I wrote it after the game. It's it's. There's life for JT before 2022 Penn State game, and then there's like life with him after that, mm. and what and what that ends up being. Just like with Chase Young, it was life before 2018 Penn State, and then life after that. But I think a more important thing is Nathan kind of said it with the Stars thing. Ohio State has three defensive linemen who should never come off the field unless they are completely gassed and tired dog tired and that's Mike Hall was first to that party and then Zach Harrison joined that list last week and now you've got JT Tuimaloao so that's three spots and now we're kind of looking at Jack Sawyer like hey buddy it's your turn because that's the rushman package right there and then obviously Teron Vincent has been quality but they've got three legitimate dudes on that defensive line and I don't know if they've ever had three legitimate dudes They've had a Bo- Joey Bosa, and they had a Nick Bosa and Chase Young for four games. And they had a Chase Young who had ankle problems with a Draymond Jones. So maybe if Nick Bosa doesn't get hurt, those three would have been the closest thing to that. But to have, like, three dudes? Man, I mean, they had the year when they had, like, the four ends, and they had Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis and Nick Bosa and Jalen Holmes, and they rotated them a lot. Sometimes a guy would slide inside. Um, but I point taken. Yeah. Point taken that you can dude up your D line, which is pretty good. Because the interesting thing is, I will say, Penn State had four drives, four touchdown drives today of more than 70 yards. Now, one of them was a little bit of a garbage time backdoor cover drive, but the th- other three were legit. Mm-hmm. And so, Nathan, like they, this defense did not smother Penn State, they did not shut down Penn State entirely, but they made a bunch of gigantic plays that swung the game, but also Penn State with a kind of try hard somewhat limited veteran quarterback move the ball primarily because Parker Washington their best receiver had a huge game but it was interesting to me it's like I don't think overall like down to down this was a spectacular game by the Ohio State defense but my gosh the five-star went nuts so that's a pretty good way to balance it out yeah I mean Parker Washington was uh, there were we were talking about this after the game like there were times when I was like does Ohio State have the best receiver in this game like they probably still did. Marvin Harrison Jr. is is pretty great, but like I had to ask it like out loud in my head to be like, is this is this? When was the last time I thought maybe uh, since I guess since the twenty twenty national championship game, since I thought maybe Ohio State didn't have the best receiver in the game um, for even a brief second. And but listen, this is why you need a JT Tuomalo out on your team because it's not going to be eleven dominating positions every night and. Even though they were down 14, 13 at halftime and they did have Penn State did have those touchdown drives, it's also, you know, they blitz and one blown tackle leads to a touchdown. And it, it all counts. It all goes in the same. But they were also like one or two tackles in that first half from shutting Penn State out for the first half. So it was in, it, they were living in this weird middle space. But again, it's why the Iowa game was such a hard game to define anything from because that offense was so impotent that it couldn't it couldn't do anything 
that would make Ohio State pay for anything. But Penn State could. Penn State could go out there and could hit a, a big play on you. They could, if you ever turned it over, they were going to make you pay for that. And the why you need the two MLO out sometimes is to come in and just equalize that to take over a game in, in the way that he did. I, it's funny that he's a, a former basketball player because I was thinking about him almost in terms of like a like an elite shot blocker, somebody who's out there and just gets like once in a lifetime, like eight, nine block game or something like that. And how much you're just taking a chunk of opportunity away from another team, almost like they just had to start the game with a deficit of plays. And to to do what JT Tumaloa did today sort of shortened the opportunity for Penn State. Like they had to do more with less. And and it was an, it was enough of a disruption that no matter what Ohio State was doing, early on that it couldn't really pull away Tumaloa was always just pushing that momentum back in their favor. By the way, somebody lit a fire under Iowa 393 yards today, 33, 13 win. I don't know what happened there, but Iowa really shout out to to that guy. I think I had a fire. I I think lighting the fire was just scheduling Northwestern, which is, which is just way. What if we oh wait head. wait what if Barrett's did some background research and realized that you're a Northwestern alum and he used Oh this. I think that's what it was. I think it was exactly what it was. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh I I by the way the fighting duggies. So the team that Ohio State just beat 54 to 10 just beat the team it's about to play 33 yeah. to 13. So uh I want to know will Ohio State score more points than I Get credited Southwest points for flying to Chicago <laughs> yeah. next week. I don't know what the tra- what the transitive property is on that, but it might be eighty seven for Ohio State. I will say the more important thing is it's not that I, it's not that I went to Northwestern; is that my daughter is, is currently there, mm. and she, to her credit, did volunteer. She wanted to know if 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 she should go to the Iowa Northwestern game at, at Iowa and get a press pass and go in and ask Kirk Ferentz a question because then it would be like. You know, that's good content. That's so I I do think that that will get ugly next week. But by the way, Parker Washington, you think Uh, 14 targets, 11 catches for 179 for Parker Washington today. Marvin Harrison Jr., 12 targets, 10 catches for 185. So like, I don't know, pick your poison. Um, Let's move to Marvin Harrison now talking about exemplary performances by Ohio State Buckeyes. The one that I thought stood out, because I'll tell you what, like some stuff happened and it was like, okay, Ohio State's going to win. And then like Penn State like did not go away and it wasn't guaranteed that they were going to win because after Trevion Henderson scores, Ohio State goes up, JT gets the strip sack and gets the ball right back and Ohio State scores on its first play of the next drive on the pass to Cade Stover as he breaks three tackles. Ohio State goes up 30-21 But then Ohio State lets, you know, kind of a decent drive by Penn State happen. They wind up kicking a field goal. So now it's 30-24. And now Ohio State winds up in a situation with, like, in the final couple minutes, it's still at stake. They have a third and 10. And if they don't convert that third and 10, Nathan, they're going to be punting back to Penn State. And Penn State's going to have a chance to drive for the win. And they throw a slant to Marvin Harrison, Jr., in front of soft coverage by Joey Porter Jr. And a 12-yard pickup basically seals the game. And then, like, it gets still a little bit crazy after that. Travion scores, then JT has the pick six, and then Penn State somehow scores again. So you wind up with 21 points in the final three minutes combined. But there was a – it was not over. Like, when it felt like, well, that's it. They just put – that was Ohio State just taking the lead. It wasn't over. And that play, talking to Marvin after the game, that route, it's not – he said the, the play is not a slant for him. But he goes out. There's off coverage by Joey Porter Jr. He gets a look or a signal from C.J. Stroud. They look at each other. Marvin knows what that means. It means run a slant, boom, 12-yard pickup, and now all of a sudden you're going to win. Like that's kind. Of, we know that Marvin Harrison Jr., Nathan, is a spectacular player and a spectacular athlete. And someone did ask him about what Kevin Wilson said about, do you have short legs and long torso? And he was like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't realize that until he said it. So – I did not measure his legs. Hopefully next week I'll I'll remember my tape measure. But that's more than that, Nathan. That's more than, man, this guy can go up and catch a ball with his ankles in the red zone. That's more than, boy, this guy is hard to – that's like 
CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. He said that's just all that extra work. It's a relationship, it's knowing your QB and your QB knowing you. It's just like, man, this guy, like he and CJ, man, I, I like, I just like stories like that, right, Nathan? It's like, yeah, you're a great athlete, but what else? Well, what else is you're really smart and you work your butt off? I mean, listen, I don't know how much of a difference the extra bowl practices made where now Marvin Harrison is in the first string offense and he's taking more reps with the ones where CJ Stroud is the quarterback and running things, but it sure didn't hurt. You know, as we told people at the time, like this isn't devastating necessarily that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are stepping aside and you were starting this process because this traces back to that, the start of that process, I think. And it's, it's important that it's not just what Ryan day is scheming up. It's what the, program has sort of instilled in its players in the, in the identity of the offense and just sort of the, the, the flow of the offense. And now you can have things like that nonverbal communication, just the feel of the game as it's playing out. Like that's, again, you talk about things that would need to be carried forward to opponents that those fans who are worried about today respect more than Penn state things that have to be carried forward against Georgia or even Michigan or whoever else like that's an example of it like it's it's the national championship game and it's so loud you can't hear yourself think or it's whatever scenario and you've got to make that play happen by something other than what was called up for you on the sideline or what they're flashing into you when you do the check with me or whatever like those moments are critical and to to have one at that time and have it work out the way it did is uh i don't think it's i mean i didn't even maybe realize the significance of it fully at the time i'm glad that you chased that down when you talked to marvin because i think it brought great insight to what was a really crucial moment of the game because if they don't convert that now penn state which just has a little bit of momentum as you said for going down and kicking that field goal and now it they're in a position where Ohio State's back starts to get against the wall again. I hate silver linings, but that's eight weeks of not having Jackson Smith the Jigba in a process that got sped up just because you didn't have Jackson. Because, I mean, let's go back to week one. It didn't look this pretty. They were not on the same page a lot of the time there, and it took some weeks for them to get there. And all of a sudden, it's not – if you still have Jackson, it's like, okay, that's fine. Everybody will come along, and in the meantime, Jackson's going to carry the load until those guys get right. But you lose Jackson, and it moves everybody up a spot on the totem pole. So you start building that chemistry with guys like Marvin, who basically lives in the Woody and a Mecca that much, especially with Julian Fleming being out the first two weeks as well. They got a chance to build some camaraderie and some chemistry there that is now paying off and at a crucial moment where you needed it to pay off. And listen, he's been a touchdown monster, obviously. Yeah. Steven Means, touchdown monster predictor. But he hadn't done this every game. He had no. seven for 184 and three touchdowns against Arkansas State, but it's Arkansas State, right? You take that into account a little bit. 102 receiving yards against Toledo, 45 against Wisconsin, 18 against Rutgers, seven for 131 against Michigan State, three touchdowns. Very real, very real, very real. Seven for 62 against Iowa. But, Stephen, 10 for 185 against Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King. Like when other things aren't working, we were sort of joking. And again, I said to Marvin, if they had thrown you 25 slants, would you had would you have had 400 receiving yards? But it was like, well, nothing else is working. Just keep doing the same thing to that unstoppable guy. And there's one thing to be a red zone monster, a touchdown monster. And there's another thing to be a guy who's like, yeah, you can throw it to me 12 times. Let's do this. It doesn't matter if they know it's coming. They can't stop me. And that was like a real, real, to me, maybe not as much of a step, Stephen, as JT. But to me, that's a little bit of a step of like number one receiver kind of stuff that repeated, repeated, repeated against a great secondary. Yeah, I think we found out how good Marvin Harrison is today because – like you said, it's one thing to do it against Arkansas State, or it's, it's Arkansas State, or to do it against Utah when most of the time you're going up against running backs or a dead tire Clark Phillips because he's chasing everybody else around and making every play possible. And even Michigan State, as real as that was, Michigan State's passing defense the last two seasons stunk. This was the first time this year where he did things against a like-minded, ta- talent-equated guy on the other side of the ball. Because we even like we talked, Riley Moss kind of had a good day against him. 
last week. He'll hold them under 10 yards per catch. Kalen King and Joey Porter. Joey Porter is probably a first-round corner. And Kalen King, I, I, I wrote about this in the morning, he's got the second-highest coverage grade in the country. And Marvin did basically everything but have a touchdown catch today, and that's because of how the game played out. But he did everything else, and he made every catch they needed him to make. Even heading into the halftime, before that thing went rock, kind of left, the two passes that CJ threw to set up them in the red zone to possibly go get a touchdown, both of those were to Marvin. And it was literally just, oh, there's no safety. I'm even like thinking it's like, oh, they're going to Marvin here. They go to Marvin for a slant. They go to Marvin again. They go Marvin downfield a couple of times. Even the one where he dropped, it's like he dropped that because like two plays before that, he fell on his shoulder and couldn't move it for a little minute. And so he but had he to kind of catch it. He didn't, he didn't drop it. He he, he couldn't. Get, he didn't quite get his He couldn't. Yeah. yeah. He, and, like, we throw. even... But we like, even said, like, maybe if he wasn't a little winded because of everything else he's been doing, he goes and gets that ball. So this was, I think Marvin Harrison might be wide receiver one in 2024 NFL draft, and it kind of stamped that. It's one of those things, Nathan. It's like you watch this game, it's like, oh, man, oh, those two guys. I bet you Ohio, JT and Marvin, man, Ohio State will miss them next year. It's like, oh, no, they're both back. Like, really? <laughs> right. They're both back? Right, Kyle um, McCord is going to have so many riches right. next year. <laughs> but it, we, it's that's not we, we, we've been discussing that for a while, right? We've been discussing the twenty twenty three thing. Who but us? It's it's been, but it, but listen, but it's also been. Why was a ch- championship potentially in this team's grasp in twenty twenty two? It's because by the end of this year, even if we hadn't seen what we'd seen for the past six weeks, seven weeks, by the end of this year, we should start seeing some of these things. And look what's happening now. Like Marvin Harrison's doing what he's doing. JT Tui Malowal just did what he did. And that's a, it's those guys not just kind of developing. It's not baby steps anymore. Like these guys are taking leaps into stardom. And again, if you replicate it, then special things start to happen. And listen, I don't want to shortchange CJ Stroud, who came on the field in like Heisman moment time and went bang, bang with two big throws for a total of 34 yards before the Travion Henderson touchdown run to put them up. Um, But we'll get to him in a little bit or we'll get to him on another podcast. I mean, he's CJ Stroud. He did. He he did it. We gave him grades afterward. We all gave him A's or an A plus like he, he did his job. And even in the first half, when like it was kind of like, eh, I don't know. It's like, well, he was the passing game was working. It was just like the kind of throws they were making and the sort of the mix of things. It wasn't like CJ was off. Sometimes the clunkiness we've said before is like, ah, CJ is not quite. No, I didn't think CJ was off at all. I don't think C. And you, I think you said this earlier, Nathan, on one something we were talking about. I don't think he forced anything. I don't think he missed anything like it was over Marvin's fingertips on the deep ball. It was right there. It's six inches. And if Marvin's not exhausted and has two functional shoulders, maybe he catches that. But it wasn't like maybe the Notre Dame game or maybe the the game against Iowa where it's like, oh, it's a little bit. It wasn't that. It's just like they weren't scoring because kind of like the how they were going about it wasn't working. So I just want to make sure we don't get out of here without acknowledging that C.J. Stroud was great on Saturday and absolutely did his job. And again, lining up like, Hey, they don't win without him. If he comes out and gets nervous or misses some throws on that drive, when they're down with, with nine and a half minutes left, they lose. Yeah. Agreed. And I, I, when I look back over that Iowa game, I thought there were, you could have easily had like three picks. It just seemed like he was living on the edge as much as I offense was living on the edge as a total at times in that Iowa game that just such a weird game and this game I didn't feel like that at all like you're saying like I I felt like there was any time he was even being held back maybe a little bit by just how that game was being called or the way the flow of that game was going the one that pick I will give and we didn't bring this up on the videos but he's got to learn how to take a sack without turning the ball over like he's he's getting a little loose with it on there's an art to it I think and maybe it just doesn't come up often enough that he hasn't repped it enough at like full speed to take that contact but like two weeks in a row now he he's fumbled it away on taking a sack you got to find a way to protect better than that and i know like in the in the constant conversation of cj running it he did have an 11 yard run on saturday but it was on like third and 18 and penn state was like take it right 11 yards there's no way you're getting to the first down marker but i think let him run on that and i think that's what set up the fourth uh, no i think that set up the fourth down where they converted on it if I'm okay. not mistaken. So, yeah. yeah, I mean. But also Penn State was saying, don't throw it. We'll let you run here. Yeah, which like, is, I mean, smart by, by Penn State. I think 
we, we said it when we were when it was like gearing up to happen. It's like Bryce Young goes and scores a touchdown right here, and CJ went down and scored a touchdown. But more importantly, it's we said it's all the time. Your second year starting quarterback and your Heisman Trophy candidate, which means when everything goes wrong, you should make it not matter. And he did exactly that today. But I hear what you're saying, Doug, but we also talked about this after the game last week. Like if so, if he does that enough times, then is there a point where the defense on third and 18 isn't as cavalier about just letting him have the yards on the ground? And now you're keeping one guy in and now he can now he can make a throw he can't make right now on third and 18 because the way he's being defended. I don't know. I think it's just worth keeping out there on the edge. Uh. A little bit of goofiness at the end of the first half. Ryan Day said it was his fault. That he should have kicked the field goal. It was going to try to call a timeout, and he didn't think he had a timeout. There's some confusion about that, but that's what you're talking about. CJ, I think CJ kind of lost the chess match a little bit with Manny Diaz there. Mm-hmm. Penn State had a guy on the edge that they had dropped on a previous play, and I think CJ stopped the guy who was going to drop again and said he blitzed and hit CJ, and that led to the fumble and took away the chance to get points at the end of that half. It, again, it was a little it was just a little odd. It was a little off. And Ryan Day said, like, I p- kind of put CJ in a bad spot. So I think we can, like, sort of maybe investigate that again in the next day or two to figure out, like, that what's, what that weird sequence was. Just real quick, the other guy I want to talk about, I like Cade Stover. I, I have a, a headline at Cleveland.com that will be up on Sunday morning that is, like, Cade Stover in two plays, like, was showed you what a perfect tight end is. I thought his blocking – uh, and Joel, I know I didn't have the sound on, but watching on YouTube TV in the press box, I could tell Joel Klatt was drawing it up. Blocks the defensive end and the outside linebacker on Trevion Henderson's run. And I asked Kate about it. I showed him it on my phone. I was like, hey, these blocks. And he said, I've got to win the C gap. Let's take care of the edge, seal him. And then he said, I have to go look for the next most dangerous guy, like the guy who has a chance to make a play. And that's that outside linebacker there. And he just squared that guy up and knocked him backwards. He had like 30 pounds on that guy, which is like, oh, by the way, Kate Stover will like destroy you. And then Dewan Jones came across. I just thought it was, I, I I got, I've talked a lot about eight perfect blocks on the Michigan Blake Corum run last year in the second half. There was like, there was two guys making three perfect blocks and the results a 41 yard touchdown run in a got to have it situation. And their very next offensive play is Cade Stover breaking three tackles on a 24, 24 yard touchdown catch and run. So it, I thought it was an extraordinary two plays of a guy who I think is an absolute devastating technical blocker. And I talked to somebody who said like early in the, in the first half, he had missed some blocks because he was like kind of firing off too much and getting too excited. And they worked on his angles and made sure, like, just stay under control. Make sure you're hitting these guys at the right angle. And when they needed it, bang, bang. And then if you throw them the ball, people can't tackle them. So, like, it is, I think it's just an extraordinary two plays of that exemplifies what Kate Stover has become. And it is a guy who is an, another absolute difference maker for Ohio State. So, I want to make sure we talked about him a little bit. Quick break when we come back. Last survey results, a comparison of the Michigan Penn State game, kind of where this run game is on Buckeye Talk. All right, so let's see if this influences anybody. Michigan against Penn State gained 563 offensive yards. Ohio State against Penn State gained 452 offensive yards. But Ohio State ran 60 plays against Penn State. Michigan ran 79 plays against Penn State. So Michigan averaged 7.1 yards per play. Ohio State averaged 7.5 yards per play. So, okay, well... Michigan destroyed Penn State. Okay, Ohio State actually averaged more yards per play. Um, Michigan, in that game where they destroyed Penn State, Michigan was leading at the half 16-14. Ohio State, at the end of three quarters, was leading Penn State 16-14. Now, Michigan's explosion came in the third quarter against Penn State. They had two 60-yard touchdown runs, one by Donovan Edwards, one by Blake Corum. Ohio State's explosion didn't come until the final nine and a half minutes. But both of them were in competitive games with Penn State for at least half the game, and then they blew the game open basically by doing what their two offenses do best. So I know it can look like, well, Michigan kicked Penn State's butt. Why didn't Ohio State? And I guess Michigan's win is a little more dominating. But 
Michigan ran for 418 and threw for 145 against Penn State. Ohio State ran for 98 and threw for 354. And there's a part of me, Nathan, that is like, I would ask Ohio State fans, do you want to trade offenses with Michigan? Do you want to be a run, a dominant, dominant, great offensive line in the run game? Two awesome backs. And I think they dial it up well. I think they scheme it up well in the run game. Ohio State, dominant in the pass game, dominant passing quarterback, dominant group of receivers. And guess what? I think they scheme it up pretty well in the pass game. It's not all that different, Nathan. And I just think maybe Ohio State fans, a reminder, you're not Michigan offensively. You're not trying to be. So sort of when we were having discussions like, hey, Michigan ran it all over Penn State. Do you think Ohio State will do that? That's kind of like, well, why would they? That's not what they're good at. So do the thing that you're good at. Do the Marvin Harrison. That's what you're good at. We're good at the MHJ. Not all that different, Nathan. What do we make of that? I think you make some good points. I think that I am still not convinced that this passing game to really roll is I, – I still think that that it, it needs better execution in the run game. I don't think it needs to be led by the run game, but I think the run game is what is where teams will respect play action more. I think if you're running the ball more conventionally, then uh, it just I, I think you can you can play off of that in in a in a better way than even what you're talking about before with the long handoffs and whatnot. Uh, I think that's still something that Ohio State has to get better at. And and you, as we've said many times, that in those situations where you know you're going to run it, where that's not a passing down, you have to be able to run it there. And they're still not w- where they need to be, I think, by anyone's to anyone's satisfaction there, where you where they know that it's third and one and they're going to get that. So those things do have to be better. But the overall point that you're making, I think, is a good one, that in terms of, you know, the game control for this game came late for Ohio State. And I think that is what affected that survey that you put out. So, I think- Stephen, I want I want to jump in. I want to ask you specifically about this run game question, Stephen, and see what your reaction is, okay? My question was, Ohio State ran it 26 times for 98 yards and didn't get anything going until late. Do you believe Ohio State needs to run it better than that to win the national title? And, Stephen, my choices were, yes, Ohio State must run more effectively to win it all, or no, Ohio State can win it all without a great run game. What do you think won that survey, Stephen? Yes, they got to be able to run the ball. Nathan, what do you think won it? I think people would still be saying, yes, they've got to run it better. Right. 81% yes. Stephen, do you agree with that? That yes, they must run it better to win a national championship? Yeah. I'm not saying they got to be some stout running game, running team because they have CJ Stroud and all these receivers, but they got to be able to run the ball when they want to run the ball. And for some reason, they came out the bye week and forgot how to do that because it's very simple again. Last year, we saw inside the zone, outside zone, but everything was out the pistol. If they were in the pistol, you knew they were running the ball because it's the only formation they run the ball out of. And then the first six weeks of the season, and some of this is because they were all sitting Jackson being out, so they were relying more on the tight ends and stuff, but – we saw jumbo packages. We saw eye formation. We saw a million different ways that they were running the ball. And then for like the past two weeks, we've saw seen none of that. It's back to the, we're just going to run it out of the pistol. And guys need to win their one-on-ones at the line of scrimmage. And if they don't, Travion Henderson's going to dance around and probably not hit a hole. And you're going to get stopped at the line of scrimmage all over again. So we're, you brought Justin Fry in here to bring some versatility to your run game and you haven't used it the past two weeks. And as a result, your run game has struggled. So, so let me, I'm going to interrupt here because Nathan, you and I are planning to dive into the run game a little bit more on the Monday pod. I think it's going to be the focus of your rewatch. So I don't want to go too far down this road. I did ask the texters one more question. What best describes your feelings about the OSU run game? And I'll just give you the answers. I'm not sure about the run game and I'm not sure it will improve. Like I, I don't know. I think it is what it is, and it's not kind of very good. That one with 48%. I'm worried 39%. I'm confident it will improve 13%, and I'm confident in it right now 1%. So the 48% in the middle, basically three to one worried beats confident. So that's where people are. 
And the thing that I come back to is like, hey, like, I guess they got to run the ball to be able to win. And it's like, you mean the last two weeks when they couldn't run the ball for squat and they scored 54 and 44 against two really good defenses and one. So like, it, but that's a conversation we kind of had last week and well, Nathan will have it more, but I'll give you last word on this run game for now. But I, I understand everything you're saying, but I don't think you can have things like this. This was Trevion Henderson's day. This is what he got per carry today. Five, zero, 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 eight, minus three, nine, two, minus two, four. And at that point of the game, everybody's like, what is going on with his offense? And then the next carry, Kate Stover, Dewan Jones, 41 yards. So you can't go backwards. You can't have just, you can't have empty play after empty play after empty play. I don't think you eventually you have to start going the other way. And until they started going the other way with it. And I don't, I don't know. It had to be a 41 yarder though. It had to be happened to be in this case, but like, and still they started getting positive thrust with the running game. This offense wasn't doing everything it needed to do. The passing game wasn't doing everything it needed to do either. They needed at some point for the run game. You're going to run the ball. I don't think you're sitting here advocating for them to just throw the ball every Pass, don't every play, don't right? put words in my mouth. I, I might exactly. be. <laughs> I don't By think Monday, I may be there. Doug wants <laughs> the air raid Big 12 offenses of old. But I don't think you're doing that either because at some point, then teams can tee off on that. And as good as C.J. Stroud is at picking up blitzes, if you could just relentlessly blitz on literally every snap, that's not going to work either. You've got to, you're have got you going to run the ball for a chunk of the game. And in Ohio State's case, it's usually about 50% of the time. So why not get positive yardage sometimes? And for, this, for a long stretch of this game, they were in quicksand. And I don't think you can do it. You can't do that. You have to, you can't be have negative and zero plays repetitively like that. And because... This isn't the best team Ohio State hopes to face this year. As much as we respect Penn State and we're no, impressed no. by them. Best pass defense. Yeah. But there's Not going to be team, better sure. all around teams that they play. There's going to yeah. be teams that can victimize them even more offensively with, with its own offense, I mean, than what Penn State did today. Like they they have to have a better answer for what happens when they hand the ball off to these guys. Right now, it's just very limp and very inconsistent. Um, the volatility is is too much. They need to get back to what they saw in the first half of the season, which was more consistently chunking out plays. The problem is, I think we know now they were chunking those plays out against just in almost every case, a lower quality of opponent. And they've got to find a middle ground. I don't think you need to be averaging eight yards a carry all season, but you can't have, I mean, they had 19 carries today and averaged 1.9 yards. That's, that's not sack adjusted. That's everything, but that's still really bad. AKA, really no, bad. the run game has not been fixed. Yeah, we got to look at this. We got to look at it. Nathan will figure it out. Our Lance Reisland, who's a, a former high school coach who does work for us at Cleveland.com, has a piece up that isn't an Ohio State River at Cleveland.com slash OSU about how Iowa stopped the run game. So he broke down some film stuff. We'll, we'll have him dig it. We might even have to have him on the podcast to talk about this a little bit. I will tell you when, when CJ Stroud on the offense took the field with 926 to play, trailing 21 to 16, at that point, CJ was 20 of 25 for 226, averaging nine yards per attempt throwing the ball. Ohio State had run it 20 times. So at that point, they'd thrown it 25 and run it 20. But like a handful of those 25 were basically long run price. So it's pretty 50-50. They'd run it 20 times for 35 yards, 1.75 yards per carry. So in the final 926, CJ was 6 of 8 for 128 yards, 16 yards per attempt. Run game six for 63, not counting a final final kneel down. Six for 63 for 10.5, but 41 of that was on a single play. So, but that's how bad it was. 20 carries for 35 yards when they took the field trailing at Penn State with yeah. less than 10 minutes left. Does it make sense that you can't, it does, it's not so much that the run has to be good to set up the pass. But when you're playing a team that is as good defensively as Penn State is, you can't have that many nothing snaps running the ball because it puts so much pressure on every passing snap you do. And you're going to have fewer successful passing snaps against a defense is good. I will say though, like the idea of if the choice is, I don't know what, what Ohio state wants to eliminate is bad running plays, right? One of the ways to eliminate bad running plays is to stop running. The other way is to have good running plays, but the mm. other way is to stop it. 
That's how they stopped the third down problems. They just stopped getting the third down. So, so you like you say, like, what do you want them to do? Throw it seventy times a game? Get back to me for the playoff semifinal, and and ask me if I think C.J. Stroud should C.J. Stroud throw it seventy times? I, I need to think about this, but we'll talk about it more on the Monday pod. In the end, Ryan Day thought it, thought it would be seventy to seventy total number of plays. Just kind of like he thought there'd be that kind of game. And he was talking about he knew it'd be a four-quarter game. They don't play many four-quarter games. Just like the way things worked out with the you know the, the pick six by JT Tumaloa, a couple other short fields. Wound up, Ohio State's defense played 80 plays. Penn State had 80 plays. Ohio State had 60. So, again, that's a little bit like the sort of the game script threw that off. But uh, that's where we are. Okay. We got to get out of here. We got to drive back to Ohio. We're in this dark stadium. We're glad to bring you guys this podcast. We hope you go read cleveland.com slash OSU. We have good stories up on Saturday. We'll have more good stories up on Sunday morning. The Browns aren't playing until Monday night, so that leaves you plenty of time all day Sunday um, to read all about Ohio State football. If you're a Bengals fan, try our Bengals coverage at cleveland.com slash Bengals. If you're a Browns fan, try our Browns coverage at cleveland.com slash Browns. If you want to listen to podcast, Orange and Brown Talk, that's our Browns podcast five days a week, Strictly Stripes. That's our Bengals podcast five days a week. And this, you know what this is. And you know we do this six, six times a week. I think Tishu had a good day. He hit on his Ohio State bet, Travion Henderson, over under 0.5 touchdowns. Nailed that. Make sure you listen to our gambling podcast every Friday, betting the Buckeyes. For now, for Nathan Baird and for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.